0: Welcome to Walk with the Wise, along with First Presbyterian Church of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where you'll find a joyful community on our way to becoming mature human beings that go back out to love our crazy world. I'm Pastor Dan Snyder, and I'm here, as always, with Andy Kindig. Hi, Andy. Hi,
1: Dan. We welcome you back to another episode of Walk with the Wise. Just a reminder, if you are listening to us, we are glad that you found us. Please share our podcast. Let other people know about these wonderful stories and these wonderful people that we're meeting. And once again, Dan, we have another great conversation ahead.
0: Yes, we do. And uh, I'll tell you what, Andy, this is our 10th episode. Yes, it is. It's sort of like (laughs) a mile marker. (laughs) <laughs> uh, um for us and we've made it that far and and I'm excited about our guest today because our guest is really worthy of of uh of anniversary celebration. Yeah, right. So, yes, I agree. Uh, how lucky we were to get our guest today. Today we are with the CEO of CAP, uh, Vanessa Filbert, who is a great leader in our community and in, not only in this wonderful uh uh partner that we have in our uh in our church, but uh also Uh, in our community. So Vanessa, welcome. And thank you so much for saying yes to being our guest.
2: Oh my gosh. I'm so glad to be here. It's a beautiful day outside and it's a great day to be talking to you all.
0: Well, thanks a lot. So, uh, well tell us a little bit, how has the programming at CAP, uh, needed to expand or change in these last few years? there have been so many changes in our world, in our city. And, um, I mean, what kind of things have happened and what what sort of has surprised you uh, along the way?
2: Yeah, I don't know if surprise is probably a great word. I'm trying to (laughs) level set maybe with this idea of who we are as a community action agency um, and what that means, because I think it helps me to respond to your question about what has changed. Um, So community action is a national network um, established in the 60s under the Johnson administration. And the spirit of community action is kind of aligned to this promise of prosperity to America. Um, And it was a promise that was made through the Economic Opportunity Act of 1965. And that that legislation basically um, helped to establish community action organizations across the US. So today, there are about 1,000 community actions across the United States. There are 43 in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and our local community action is a countywide organization who is committed to anti poverty work, which means that we are always thinking about our community's most marginalized groups and looking for solutions that create thriving communities and healthy neighbors. Um, so, when I think about the level set of that, what's important for me to remember is the history of where we started. So 1965, heart of the civil rights movement is happening, and there was this curiosity from President Johnson that said, "Why are people experiencing poverty, and who is impacted by that?" And uh, he sent a gentleman out by the name of Sergeant Shriver to visit cities across the U.S. and meet with neighbors and mayors and community leaders. And when Sergeant Shriver came back to D.C., he said, "Children are the most impacted by poverty." and generational poverty is the most dangerous. And we've got to create solutions around that. So um, the spirit of community action is, yes, this promise to continue prosperity. The way that we do that is unique because every community action is required to be attuned to the needs of their local community. So every community action is required to do a data analysis that helps us to see those community issues and that we are creating strategies that close gaps in communities. So every CAP looks different. You know, in some communities, CAP looks like the one we have here in Lancaster, and in others, it is a totally different programming structure size. Um, So there's something kind of unique and beautiful in this idea that every CAP is committed to the same promise, but our strategies around that look a little different. So when I think about what's different in the last three years, One of the things that we have in our favor is a regular practice of assessing community needs and making pivots along the way, because that's how we're built, right? We're built to respond to needs in real time. So when I transitioned into the role of CEO in 2019, December, right before the holidays, you know, I wasn't anticipating a global pandemic in March. Um, So leadership looked very different, you know, March 2020. Um, to maybe what I thought it was gonna look like. And the conditions of the community were different. So we all as a community um, had to lean in with a lot of curiosity and learning because we weren't sure what was happening in the world. We were trying to sift out information and best practices and still meet the needs of our neighbors in a way that felt on time. And that's hard when you're navigating things that you just just don't know. Um, And we have our own personal fears, trepidations, concerns in the midst of trying to show up for communities that we care about. So um, when I think about where we are today over the last three years, we've done a lot of learning and growing um, and celebrating that we have been able to show up in meaningful ways for the community. It doesn't mean that we always get everything right, but I do think what we are trying to lean into is our ability to be curious about and, and gracious in our learning um, and to know that our intentions are always about meeting people where they are and hopefully leaving them better than they were. and So that feels consistent. Um, I think what we're learning today is that post-COVID looks different. Yeah, yeah. Financially for people, we're still exploring the economic impacts of that because now we're at a place where neighbors are at the end of those extra benefits that were enacted because of COVID. So the landscape is still not quite set. Um, so I'm still curious about needs that we don't maybe even know wow. that are there yet. Right.
0: Right. That that emerged uh, because yeah. of COVID. Well, thank you for putting it in that context. What a beautiful history. And I loved how you oh, talked about you. how really CAP is uh, designed from its origin to respond to needs in real time. So really mm-hmm. you were as an organization poised to be able to help uh, in something as unique as COVID. And did you have to add, Any new programs, or uh, I know in the beginning there were schools that closed down that were looking for places to do education. Mm -hmm. Did you have a part in that? And what did that do to your? To your, uh, to your programming?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think part of our work is to say there's an element of what we do that is the service provider. Right. We are the direct line staff, and right. some of the work that we do. Um, and we had to pivot how we did some of that work. So we had to think about mitigating exposure for our staff mm-hmm. and families. Um, we also had to think about ways to create access points for people that were safe, but still ensure that they receive the benefits that we provide and the support that we provide. Um, and then we had to think collaboratively about where can we leverage ourselves in the community to help advance good. Um, so the way that we did that is that, you know, we were partners in lots of collaborative projects. So for example, you know, we were a major partner in the emergency rental assistance program. So oh, wow. since we administer utility assistance support for families, we took on that side of the work while Tenfold took on the you know, actual rental portion of the work. Um, so, you know, we were trying to find ways that we we're like, oh, we can be a good partner here. Wow. Um, you know, the county was, we can find a space. And I think that's the approach that our team tries to take is how can we be additive? It doesn't mean that we always have to be the lead. Sometimes we're a supporter in that work. Um, the other thing that we saw major impact around is around food distribution, so we are the countywide lead around food distribution and food pantry work. We support about 40 pantries across Lancashire County. Um, and we saw that need increase and we are still seeing that need increase um, post COVID. Um, we're seeing it more now than then because there were additional food stamp or SNAP benefits available to families during COVID that have closed out. Oh, so now my. we're seeing more and more families access food pantry services So when I think about what we have to do differently is that we have to lean into partnership differently to meet those needs. So yeah, we're still going to do our pantry service work, but now we're thinking about what is data telling us? What other grants and opportunities can we leverage? You know, do people who attend the food bank, do they know that they might be eligible for SNAP benefits? How do we make sure that they have access to that information? How do we make sure they're enrolled in that? So we're looking at those opportunities as like, you know, there's this practice around the data And then there's this, um, for us, a framework around checking in with our customer because we want to be conscious that we are not um, being prescriptive in solving problems without their input Mm -hmm. and then looking at closing solutions. So I think post-COVID, you you know, all the things that we did around rental assistance and stabilizing households were, were essential. And now it's really focused on like, okay, what are the other economic things that families need to have stability? so that they don't fall any further behind.
0: Right. Because a lot of those things all go hand in hand for people in poverty, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you talked about, um, uh, food insecurity that we Mm -hmm. all know there's a housing issue as well, that, uh, these are issues that families are facing. It sounds to me like you're describing how these issues are not over, but perhaps even growing, um, is is that mm-hmm. truth? Should our listeners be aware of of those uh of those crises as um as still Yeah, going I mean
2: I think we should be aware and maybe um you know inquisitive about why those things are continuing to exist and where the gaps are. So when we think about things like affordable housing um, you know, we know that there's a lot of data in our local community around what affordable housing looks like and what we want it to mean. Um, we also know that um, there aren't enough units, you know, around that need. Um, and, I'm, and I think it's important for us to be paying attention to language. I was recently somewhere and, you know, someone was talking about affordable housing and they were using the term um, income aligned housing. Right. That the income that you have is aligned to the housing stock that's available. Yeah. And that nuance is helpful for people who maybe get stuck with affordable housing as those people, that kind of NIMBY mentality. Yes. But when it's income aligned, it's like, wait a minute, I want that for me too.
0: Right. I want income
2: aligned housing. Right. Um, And our neighbors deserve that as well. So um, when we think about emerging things, housing for sure, but, you know, not, I guess the way that I see the work is it's all interconnected.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And I think sometimes we approach um, community benefit work in little kind of buckets. Um, But someone's affordability is directly connected to their employment, which sometimes is directly connected to the access to education and credentialing, which sometimes is connected to maybe transportation or childcare. So, for me, what I think, you know, is most helpful is for us to consider what's causing it, but also what's connected to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we can't assume that one quick solution is it. if it was, I mean, Jesus would have fixed it. I mean, there's been poor people right. for forever, right? Right, right. Um, And be- it's because it's complicated and it's an issue of justice. Yeah. And I think that's the part that we have to remind ourselves of is that some of the constructs that reinforce injustice are intentional Yeah, and we've got to be willing to grapple with that and and kind of untangle it. Right.
0: That's, that's so wise. I mean, I think oftentimes people can uh, forget how their own success in their own life is not tied to one thing and they don't Mm -hmm. realize how many, how many, many advantages and benefits they had available to them that they weren't even thinking about that helped them to get to the place. So then they therefore also assume, well, if we just did this one thing, so I love that that there's yeah. that interconnectedness, and you know what I know about CAP, um, and and I, every time I uh, hear about it, I I get I get introduced to like another thing that you are doing in that interconnectedness. There's so many things that you do, and I'm so glad that we get to be connected to you there. But um, uh, I, I loved how you talked about how this community benefit work is not just in single buckets but in organizations partnered working together as you as you were thinking about coming and and did you say how how many years have you been ceo at cap
2: um year four for me so 2019 Um, prior to that i was the chief operating officer
0: right for a year so you've been around it uh, a, a little for a while here how did what attracted you about the organization I've, I've seen you in action. I got to watch you do some uh, conversation facilitation at the Martin Luther King banquet and I I was impressed um, by the by your ability to listen and draw out in that conversation. It shows me how your mind you know really really works in an adaptive way um, and I could see how that was a strength that uh, works in an organization like cap. But what was it about CAP that really attracted you to that organization? And did you recognize kind of how this was the right time for you to be there?
2: Yeah, um, I'd have to say, for me, it started in the early 2000s. So my family and I are from New York City, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, um, came to Lancaster really on a whim. No kidding. Girlfriend who lived here who was like, oh, you should check it out, less expensive, right after 9 9- I just had my second daughter and um, at the time, my fiance and I now husband just took a risk and we were like, we're just going to go to this cheaper place maybe and see if we can (laughs) figure out our lives. And um, my really, my very first connection to CAP was a customer. I was a WIC mom. I was a utility customer. Um, So I grew up in a low income environment. Um, I was a teen parent. Uh, my mom was a single mom. So my life experience was very much aligned to the people that we serve every day. Um, and my first connection here was in the waiting room as a customer. Wow. Um, and then in the early 2000s, probably 2003 or four, I applied for a job here, uh, kind of a frontline position doing after school coordination in a partnership with the school district of Lancaster. And I was here for a few years. Um, got promoted a few times and then transitioned to the United Way of Lancaster County. And in that transition, it was when I was presented with the opportunity to really consider going back to school. Since I left my junior year of high school, I had not, you know, I didn't really have any post-secondary credentialing. Mm -hmm. So I was navigating the world with my GED and with, you know, whatever street smarts were in here and just a lot of um, compassion for people. Um, And that was something that I my family has always been really, you know, attuned to is caring for communities and caring for each other. And it was just important to us. So that helper element has always been part of who I am. And, um, you know, I did the thing that a lot of working adult students, you go back to school and it takes a little longer and it's a little bit more expensive and it's (laughs) harder um, in some ways, but it was worth it. And then in 2016, I came back to cap in a VP role. Um, overseeing kind of all of our economic mobility work, and then in 2018 became the chief operating officer, and then 2019 the CEO. Um, you know, for me, it it, it feels um, it's a deep responsibility yeah. that I have to be in the seat as the first woman and you know person of color to be leading the agency that's been here in Lancaster since 1966. So I take that responsibility really um, hold it with a lot of reverence. I also take the responsibility of leaving the community better than I found it, mm. you know, is something that isn't negotiable for me. Right. Um, and then I recognize that I have a different perspective. My lived experience is different than most CEOs. Um, most CEOs in for-profit or nonprofit sectors don't quite look like me, men, mostly white, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm in spaces where I'm trying to invite um a willingness to, to see a different perspective um, and to think about our humanity as central to how we show okay. up in business. Okay. Um, and that for me, it means both in the nonprofit sector and in the for-profit sector, because what is the common denominator are people. People yes. are always at the center. Right. Um, so yeah, my kind of transition here is a little different, but I also feel like it is unique to me and it helps me lead from a place of, a, you know, I hope authenticity and a lot of empathy sure. um, around what we do. And I also recognize to your point earlier about the connectivity to people. One mm-hmm. of the things that we know from a data perspective and from a lived experience perspective is that social capital is the magic sauce for the middle-class. Wow. And when I know, when I think about my life up until six years ago when I you know, didn't earn more than $40,000 a year and I had three kids yeah. and a husband right. and we were navigating all of life's expectations with, you know, one car and, you know, all the things that many of our families are negotiating limited time. Um, when you move into the middle class economically, it does shift your network.
0: Right. right. And your
2: social capital does something different for you. Yes. Um, And I'm more conscious about that now because I recognize that even in my skin and my gender, I now have privilege that's different because Mm -hmm. of the seat that I'm in, the organization Mm -hmm. that I run, my economic status has changed. So I try to be aware of that um, and to leverage why that's important as we're building bridges for people to kind of move into a more financially stable place. Yeah. That's so that was a long-winded answer. That's a Sorry. brilliant
0: insight, Vanessa. Brilliant. You know, and I think the other connection I would make, cause, I mean, first I want to say that CAP and Lancaster City, well, Lancaster County, because you you affect mm-hmm. the whole county, are so fortunate to have uh, you and your rich background. The story you just told uh, is a, a very broad, um, and I just thought of that word rich, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the all that you bring and offer. And, uh, and then that insight about that uh, social capital, I think middle-class people who always have been middle-class, uh, again, it's like uh, the water that a fish swims in. They, they don't even know it and don't tend it uh, the way. you know. We're dealing mm. with people at this time that are talking about a time of loneliness and a time of separation and isolation. And uh, what a crisis to be giving away that kind of social capital that people in a lower income status know how necessary it is because they trust each other and they need each other mm-hmm. and they work together in ways that often middle class, upper middle class just take for granted and, and ignore. So thank you for yeah, naming that. that's a fair that. reflection. Thank you for naming that how important that is in our society and uh, and that, that uh, we have an opportunity serving together in um, organizations like CAP to even strengthen that. What a great way it could be to network. I want our listeners to hear that about how, you know, the way you can make a difference um, on the issues that we're discussing here today is to get connected with people in other social economic stratus in order to share that um, that social capital that, uh, that we yeah. have. That networking is so powerful. So well done. Thanks for naming that stuff. Andy, yeah. let's take a quick break yeah. and kind of take a breath. Take a breath. Point.
1: Take a breath and learn a little bit about Vanessa.
0: That's right. Uh, no, boy.
1: It, it, yeah,
0: <laughs> I know. I know. Don't it worry. can't be all wisdom, Vanessa.
1: It, it, it's got to be no, fun, it's, too, it's, right? It,
2: there's basically barely that's all of it. That's well, all you got all of it in the
0: first 20 <laughs> I doubt years. that. But uh, yeah, Go well, ahead, Andy. We'll,
1: we'll learn a little bit more about Vanessa right now with our, our first question will be, Vanessa, if you had a superpower, what would it be?
2: Hmm. Uh-huh. Probably invisible.
1: oh
0: uh-huh. because I'm
2: nosy. <laughs> oh, you want
0: to sneak up on people?
2: Sneaking I like up. So I'm, sneaking I'm up. hearing all the things.
0: Uh-huh. it's like the fly I would on the say wall.
2: invisible and time travel because I am always late.
0: Is that oh, right? Yeah.
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah, to be
0: I'm, yes, that, you know I could that, use that too. You know, it's just, yes. Just, well, you know, it's because people like us we we get so engrossed in the moment. And want yeah. to enjoy all the things we're sharing. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is Good. this next question is slightly uh, political. Uh, it's it's fall is coming. Are you a pumpkin spice or an apple cinnamon person? <laughs>
2: Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm ambidextrous because (laughs) I love a pumpkin spice latte, Uh but I love hot apple cider. Okay, that's good.
1: That's good. She's on the fence there. That's good. (laughs) good (laughs) Good Yeah. Lastly, because, uh, well, two more. One one more is because I heard you're from, you said you're from Brooklyn. Uh, Mets or Yankees? Yankees. Okay. That's, oh, boy. There that was go. quick. There was no doubt. That, that could be the involved. most controversial no thing we've right. talked Ex- about. But our Phillies fans around here will appreciate a Yankee, yeah, right. as, I think, oh, over let a Let mat. me tell
2: you yeah. something. They will because <laughs> I had the great benefit attending one of the World Series games last Did you? year. Oh, awesome. great. Oh, it was phenomenal. And I bought my Phillies hat and I was a Phillies (laughs) fan for that moment. And I will never tell the Yankees, but it was a great experience. Yeah. That's Uh good. That's good.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. And the last question is is just to get to, to know what's been kind of motivating you rattling around your head. Is there a quote, is there a movie Mm. or a book, something that's really been just kind of guiding you or something in the morning that's like, yeah, this is, this is going to the start to my day. Um, There's some inspiration you're finding somewhere.
2: I'm going to, I mean, I'll give you a quote, but I think recently, and, you know, because this community is really focused, you know, a little bit from a faith-based perspective, which I appreciate. um, I remember going through a season of preparation of considering about applying for this role of CEO and I had the support of the outgoing CEO. And, you know, you know, there's moments where you're just like, am I ready? Is this right? Can I do it? Um, and I remember working with my coach and executive coach and we did all the good prep stuff, but there was something that she had said to me that I have been circling with recently. And what she said to me is she was like, look for God everywhere. And sometimes, um, there are moments where we think the ministry of Christ is, um, in a church experience, in a church building. And I realized that the opportunity that was in front of me was also part of the the ministry call in my life to shepherd and to steward. And um, I've been really sitting with reminding myself how often am am I looking for God throughout the day and how often am I kind of connecting with strategy and things like that, because it is easy to rely on your own gifts Mm -hmm. in certain seasons. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things that I'm spending a lot of time just sitting with is like, am I consciously, Looking and paying attention to and inviting in, yeah. um, because there is a wisdom that is beyond anything that we can come up with ourselves. That I recognize, um, I need to be paying attention to. Wow,
0: yeah. you know that's we wrestle with that. I wrestle with that as a pastor every day. I would, I would I'm hoping everybody in the world is hearing this because this is a pastor's uh, dream. You know that people would not only think that God shows up Sunday, but Monday mm-hmm. through Saturday in all of the ordinary stuff that we do and all of the work that we do, that, that God is right there in the thick of it. So, uh, I'm so glad you shared that. What a great, uh, yeah. what a great message. Yeah. Good quote.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for letting me I don't feel like I'm get, doing
2: it well, but I am right. trying. Well, hey, none of us no, are. It, Remember, you, we we think it's a lot of
0: work. Yeah, yeah, it really does. It does take a lot of work. It it's sort of easy to like lead worship for an hour on Sunday and get everybody thinking about God. <laughs> That's why they came. But, uh, you go, you go to work and, you feel like you're back at it on your own again. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Well, hey, uh, Vanessa, tell us a little bit about um, the these beautiful, wonderful CAP families that uh, um, you work with in our city and in our county. Um, what are some of the unique gifts that people ought to know about these families um, that uh, that you serve? And what are they? Uh, what gifts do they bring?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think what people first to start with is that, you know, they are your neighbors. They are your employees. They're your colleagues. They are the people who sit next to you at church or in the synagogue. They're in the marketplace. They're, you know, they're just people who, you know, are navigating um, their version of what life is. Um, I think what I have found to be, sometimes I'm interested by people's reactions to Who we serve and maybe this idea that there are some perceived ideas about, you know, people who aren't working hard enough, people who aren't, um, you know, as a go getter mentality. You know, there's this idea that people who are lower income are lazy or and, you know, when I think about my own lived experience, lazy is not. No, usually what you no. experience with people who are lower income, they are hustling no. um, to make every dollar work and stretch. And we all make choices and there are consequences. Yep. Sure. We do that in every class group. So right. I don't I think what's interesting sometimes is that there's usually a little bit more of a emphasis on choices and consequences in folks who have lower income. Um, so I would say that, you know, be, be, recognize that they are people who are working hard and, yeah. and trying to maximize their economic portfolio in the season that they're in. Um, the other thing I try to, you know, remind people of is that the middle class and the upper class, you know, when we think about from an economics perspective, they have mastered leaving nothing on the table. Wow. Every tax benefit, every way to create passive income, you know, LLC, this, like they, they, and they pass that knowledge down, right. um, and that is considered to be strategic. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think there are some perceived ideas about individuals who are navigating a lower income portfolio, who are also passing down the information that they have, and they don't see that as strategic. They see that as like, oh, they're look telling them to go get help from here and housing support from there, but that's their knowledge base. Yeah. yeah. And they are imparting what they have to offer. Yes. yeah. Um so I just I think sometimes there's these perceptions about what we see as strategy. And what I know to be true is that people who are living with less are more strategic and more creative yes. and more innovative because they have to be.
0: Right. Right. They have to be. Yeah. Yeah. I uh I have a little saying you know we've all heard people say if you want to have you know if you want to ask If you want to get something done, you know, ask a busy person. And I've sort of turned that into uh, if you want to get something done, ask a single mom, you know, like because they're some of the busiest people in the world. And they really do. I mean, it's amazing how many single parents I know who are squeezing every drop out of their hours in the day. Oh, my gosh. they, They really know how to make good use of time and be strategic. So, uh, yeah. I, I completely agree with you. There's such a knowledge base there
2: that, mm-hmm.
0: uh, and so much wisdom.
2: And yeah. I think we've got to recalibrate the way we put maybe some bias or judgment around that skill,
0: mm-hmm. right? Because yes. it is a
2: skill to it have to manage skill. multiple things to multitask, figure, figure out how to prioritize in a way that is beneficial to your life, your family, your customer. Um, I also would consider that, you know, um, I, I think there's something really important for us to understand that when I think about my own personal journey, I don't have more hours in the day from when I was, you know, 17 and a mom. till you know, 46 now, whatever. I don't have more hours. The hours are the same. Mm-hmm. But when you are economically more stable and maybe just better off, what you have are more choices. Oh, wow. And how I can spend my time. So when you're a frontline worker, who you know is essential, mm-hmm. air quotes essential, yes, right? Yes. Um, it, you don't have the flexibility that you have as you move into management positions, right? And you can take that extra hour to take your kid to that doctor's appointment. So time and choice look different in different seasons and in different kind of economic groups. So I'm very conscious that like sometimes, you know, we want lower income people to do more with the same 24 hours because we think we do more, yes. but we don't acknowledge that we delegate things out. We are not managing survival and crisis in the same way because we build capacity. Yeah. So I just, I, it is something that we should consider is that, you know, the 24 hours are the same for all of us. But when you have, let's say, a single mom, 80 percent of people living in low income situations in Lancaster County are single mothers and you have limited or unreliable transportation and you're working two jobs and you're trying to do what you need to do to support your family. It's not because she's not working hard.
0: Exactly. It's because
2: she has nowhere to delegate and no capacity to create choices around what she will use her time for today and what she will delegate for another day. Yeah. Because in those situations, everything has to get done, mm-hmm. and you are the person who does all the things. Yeah. So I just think there's something about that when we think about the gifts that, that folks bring. There is a grit, and there is a hustle, and there is an innovation, but there is also limits. And um, sometimes what we see are their limits and not recognizing um, that we're not working with the same playbook.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very good. Very good explanation of that, of, again, that wisdom, because... This is like you just named uh, a few minutes ago. This is a skill that uh, that they've that people in those situations have had to learn um, and have developed. That uh, boy, so many of us could could benefit from. And then also to think about how can we come alongside of them uh, to create more uh, opportunities yeah. for choice. Um, And how do we
2: make those skills transferable to the workplace?
0: Good. Yeah. You know, to learning, you know,
2: sometimes we're looking for a certain resume and our life experience is, is the teacher.
0: Right. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Now. So you moved uh, here from New York into Lancaster Mm -hmm. and you're still here. So you must love it. Uh, We love it. And uh, a lot of folks do. So what, I mean, what have you enjoyed or appreciated or valued? about Lancaster that really makes us a strong place for what CAP is doing and, uh, uh, and flourishing in.
2: Yeah. I think what I have deep appreciation for is there's a collaborative spirit here that I see working in lots of different ways. Um, whether that's with neighbors in communities, And just like that sticky feeling of like being part of a community, I think is really vibrant here in Lancaster. And it is essential. I mean, it was for us when we transitioned here from New York, we were moving here. We knew one person who then moved back to New York, so then we knew nobody. Um, And getting connected to our church community, to neighbors, it was how we built our social capital. It's like, wow. like places feel like home when you have community. So I think there's something collaborative in that community feeling. Um, And I also see that same collaboration in the work. Um, You know, I have a deep appreciation for my peers, colleagues for my team, because we all show up wanting Lancaster to be its best place. Mm. Um, And we do that kind of, that's the most important thing, how we get to that looks different. And we're willing to say, Hey, I can take the lead here or like, this is not my thing, but I can support you here. Or maybe I can make a connection for you there. And I see that happen in many micro ways and in big macro ways. And I think that's one of the beauties about Lancaster.
0: Yeah. I love how you named that. That, and that really is true of the people here that that we, we want, we want to see it flourish and Mm -hmm. we want to see it flourish together. We want people to be able to come here and experience that collaboration, but also just the, the joy and the, uh, the generosity and uh, everything that uh, that we w- that we love about it So many people are, have mm-hmm. been saying that uh, almost every time we ask that question on this podcast we get that a similar uh, answer about how there's just that spirit of collaboration and yet just the other day I was having a conversation with somebody and we were talking about some of those organizations that try to do it on their own and it's almost as if we, sadly look down on them like why are you doing that? Right. You know, like
1: <laughs> there's so Don't do many, it. yeah,
0: there's so many people that would would love to have you be part of it. And uh we're sad about that when it when it comes out that way. Well Vanessa, you know, um I have observed uh Cap um and have appreciated all the different ways that you have uh sort of almost to your own to Cap's own institutional organizational sacrifice has just continued to give itself to the community, Um, you know, putting your own frontline workers at risk during COVID so that families could be served, uh, giving up space, uh, trying to use every square inch of space of all of your facilities in order to add more programs to serve families. I've just been amazed and impressed at the way the organization under your leadership has done that. And uh, we are always happy as a church to say, okay, so what else can we help with? What else can we do? And I know there are listeners and other people that are even maybe just being introduced to CAP today that I just want them all to know that this is a premier organization under a premier leader in our in our city, and we're so grateful um, not only that you joined us today but for what you bring to our, to our city. Keep up the good work.
1: Would you come back
0: again mm. if we asked you?
2: Yeah. Oh absolutely. yeah. It's a pleasure.
0: Yeah. See, I know I asked that now because I know nobody really can say no, but wow. I'm going <laughs> to take you up on that Vanessa. That is so, it's been so great having you here. And and I'm sure next time we have you back, there'll probably be even more stories to tell about what's happening Yeah. down at, uh, and
2: down, I appreciate your now. time so much. Thank you for creating a space for learning and listening.
1: Oh, you bet. It's We love it. We love doing this. Yeah. So thank you again for joining us on Walk with the Wise to learn more about FPC and what we're doing here. Check out the details of this podcast to learn more about CAP. Check out the details of this podcast. You can be linked to their website. Learn more about them and what Vanessa and her team are doing down there. So thanks for the first 10 episodes and we'll see you next time.